In today's episode, I speak to a friend who I made many years ago when I started modeling, whose path has taken her to a purpose-driven career to make change. Now, as I veered towards helping raise awareness of mental health and physical well-being, Arizona Muse became an activist to help raise awareness about climate change emergency and to encourage governments, brands, and individuals to put sustainability at the forefront of their agenda. One of the biggest problems is overproduction, and I just wanted to explain what overproduction is. Overproduction is not people guessing wrong about how many clothes they need to produce. They know how many they need to produce, and then they deliberately produce 20% extra. I'd spent years in my living room educating myself very quietly, and whenever I would attend a fashion event, I would maybe try to talk about the things that were interesting me, and no one cared. And it just, it felt like this kind of secretive thing that I was doing and it was so weird. And then in 2019, I walked on the streets with Extinction Rebellion. Today we cover how Arizona found her purpose from within the fashion industry, leading her to find a community which she resonated with on making change to help our planet, something the fashion industry was detached from. In turn, this purpose-driven movement has helped her own mental health. And in her own words, she says, making her feel alive and happier. We cover how our soil is one of the root solutions to helping solve climate change, spanning biodynamic farming and explaining exactly what that is and how we can all become more conscious consumers and make active change. Arizona, welcome to Live Well, Be Well and my home. It is so nice to be here with you. I love it that we're doing this, finally. I know, it's taken a while. I can't remember the last time we saw each other. Years and years ago. Yeah, it must have been, because you've yeah. been in Ibiza for the last year, haven't you? We have. We moved to Ibiza a year ago, which was amazing in some ways, and then not amazing for our oldest son, who's 13. And so we're back again, which feels really good too. There's yeah. a lot that happens in a city, and it is, it is special to be in one. Absolutely. And I think it's amazing that you've done a year of being in Ibiza, which is really close to your heart. And can you tell me, what was the emphasis to moving to Ibiza? Nature wanted to be more in nature and I was saying to my husband all the time during COVID oh London's so boring a city I see it now because I'm an environmental activist I'm I'm quite educated I would call it about Mm. what a city is doing to Mm -hmm. the planet Mm. and now I see that when I look at a city and so I was thinking I just I can't live in one anymore I can't live in one we need to go to nature where can we go and we settled on Ibiza which was brilliant as a choice. It was amazing. The community there is incredible. There's so much regenerative agriculture, which you'll find out later I'm very into, like obsessed Mm -hmm. with. And so that was really great for me. But also on the flip side, if it's not great for my son, it's not great for me. So we're back here and I'm finding ways to find nature in the city and feel good about it too. I feel like I'm actually flying the flag quite proud today actually (laughs) by showing you that we've got some nature in the home for anyone who's not watching this on (laughs) socials we've got a glass box in the home cannot avoid her nature it's right (laughs) in the middle of her house (laughs) (laughs) hence why I wanted to invite you here today we're gonna really span over so many areas of agriculture as you mentioned modeling where you started the fantastic charity that you've started as well dirt which from being a founder of a charitable organization. I just know how hard that is. So I champion you. I really do champion you. And we're also going to talk about sustainability, not just in climate with fashion, but also with food, which is quite close to my heart. And a little bit about mental health. So we've got a lot to cover today. We do. The first thing I always ask 
every guest is what have you changed your mind about in the last 10 years? Because you've also been on a big journey in the last 10 years. So many things, yes. My activism has been the last eight years and at the beginning I wasn't even calling it activism. It was so quiet. So in the last 10 years, pretty much everything in my life has changed. But also I just turned 34. So that is pretty normal between the ages of 24 and 34. So much happens. I guess it's hard to narrow it down. Um, No idea. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, there's too much. We'll be here all day for me just thinking about the answer to that one question. (laughs) I mean, it's got to be something within sustainability though. There is so much that you have been on. But I guess for me, something that I feel that you've changed a lot on is your view towards the fashion industry, but also the view towards agriculture and actually how we're living our lives day in, day out. You're not even talking about it you're making such huge life changes such as moving to Ibiza and starting a charity I mean everything in my life is different than it was 10 years ago one big surprise that I had along the way of this self-education path was I was so unaware that clothes are grown in soil by farmers I had never stopped to say thank you so much farmers for growing my dresses for me but they do Unless your dress is made from polyester, which is petrochemical based, which means it was mined from soil instead of farmed on soil, it was grown by a farmer. And that's something that I had not associated before. I knew that my food was coming from farms. Yeah, yeah, I was all clear there. I knew that, you know, grew up saying a grace about thank you, Mother Earth, for growing the beautiful plants for us, something like that. But fashion was just a step away. And I think that was really true for the whole industry. We had no idea that we were so deeply connected and intertwined with agriculture. But we are, Philly, we're so entwined with the environment full stop. Think about all leather shoes and handbags, all wool coats and trousers, all tree fibers, which is viscose rayon, tensile, they're all grown by farmers because trees, when they're planted and harvested, they're a plantation, they're not a forest. And that means they're sprayed with chemicals, so they're managed. So everything, cotton, silk, they are all being sprayed with chemicals. And that was a shocking realization as well, because even when it came to food, I thought it's only sprayed with chemicals if the plant gets sick. Mm -mm. No, no, no. Routine use 16 times a year everywhere. And all those chemicals, they run off. They run off the plants, they run into the soil, and they get into the waterways, because of course it's always raining on fields. And then the waterways are rivers, and then the rivers get into the sea. And so this is why we have an acidified ocean alongside the extra carbon that is in the atmosphere that needs to be sequestered by the ocean, which is the biggest place that we do sequester carbon. Mm. Alongside that is soil. We can do so many amazing things for soil to support it. One thing I want to say about soil, because soil is so abstract, and I used to think soil was such a boring thing to talk about. Like, what is that even as a topic? What do you even mean? Because I was thinking of soil as this blanket across the surface of the earth being one thing, soil. Mm. Then the more I learned about it, I realized, oh, it's not one thing. It's comprised of trillions of micro and macro organisms. It should be light and fluffy in the consistency of chocolate cake because that means there's oxygen, that means there's space for tiny things to move around in it, and that means there's space for water to come through. That's healthy soil that plants love to live in. And they become healthy and then they're, they become food for animals who are healthy. They are homes for insects and birds and that is called biodiversity. And that's what we need is healthy soil in order to support healthy biodiversity everywhere. When you put a parking lot down, mm, 
Imagine what happens to the soil and the biodiversity living on top of it. We are going to get into this very soon on the podcast. I feel like it's something that's opened my eyes, especially even just through all of these series that we've done. We've always spoken to experts in the field of geology, biodynamic farming, regenerative work. Anyone who's listening to biodynamic and going, what does that mean? Or regenerative farming, I'm going to come on to that because that's really what you specify in, in DIRT. But before we get there... Can we first just talk about a little bit about you? Because I've known you obviously from the fashion industry and I think we met together during Matthew Williamson. But I don't know that much really about your childhood. But I do know that you grew up in Arizona, hence the name. beautiful name, <laughs> Arizona. Um, but would you be able to tell us a little bit more about it? Because I think from what I've read and, and spoken to you about partly, you were around sustainability movement and actually felt that that was probably oversaturated. Mm. And then you pulled away from it. But now you're back. To go into the fun, glitzy world of fashion. Exactly. Which I thought was far more interesting at the time. Yeah. Um, yes, I grew up in two places, in Tucson, Arizona, where I got my name, and in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Both of them are filled with environmentalists, and everyone eats brown rice and broccoli, and <laughs> you can imagine. So I thought that was boring and normal. And I thought I'd like to go out into the outside world where people did fun stuff that was, you know, a, a niche kind of, a niche pocket of society mm. called the fashion industry, which, uh, as I know now, is absolutely enormous. <laughs> <laughs> not niche at all. We all wear clothes. And yeah. that is the fashion industry. It's not, I think I used to think of it as the, f- the high fashion world, which is this tiny bubble, is not, it's like one tiny prick in the fashion industry, which is, of course, the garment industry. And that's where the numbers get so big. And you're like, how, how is it so polluting? How is it that every river has dye stuffs in it? And that's, that's all fashion. And we need to curb that. And one of the biggest problems is overproduction. And I just wanted to explain what overproduction is. Overproduction is not people guessing wrong about how many clothes they need to produce. They know how many they need to produce because of the orders they got from their retailers. And then they deliberately produce 20% extra. That's overproduction. So it's not some kind of random number, an abstract concept. We must only produce the clothes that do get ordered. That would change everything. It would reduce the entire impacts of the industry by 20%. That's huge. It's huge. Just that. Just that. So simple. And then also working on all the innovations, using less toxic chemicals or not using any chemicals at all. Although... Let's think about the word chemical, like we, I'm made of chemicals, so are you, so are plants. So the word chemical is not inherently dangerous and nature is made of chemicals. So choosing chemicals and knowing about the chemical reactions that will happen when we pollute nature. And so what was the moment, because it's, I find this really interesting, I was really excited to talk to you about this today because where we both started, as you said, I kind of came into this world very naive into the fashion industry. And then my eyes quickly opened. I mean, we had to grow up very quickly. And I was quite amazed and shocked by the fashion industry. And I think what hit me the most was the mental health side about the young, vulnerable men and women, not just models, but you think about, you know, the assistance on the set. The fashion industry is such a large component. And something that I think really opened my eyes was just how big the fashion industry was, but also how unsupported it was. And what's really interesting is that sparked me to go and set up a charity in mental health. And when I look at you and your journey, it sparked you to go and actually totally. become 
much more of an activist in the era of sustainability and sustainable fashion. So we've both gone off to do for yeah, good. It spurred us. It spurred us. <laughs> and I'd love to know the moment that for you spurred that. What sparked the sustainability movement for you from the fashion side? For me, it was the realization that I didn't know enough about our clothes, where they came from. What really is cotton? What really is wool? How does it become blue? <laughs> like those questions I had no answers to and I needed to know and of course the begin the beginning was just it's once you start learning it's wild you're like oh my god so many more things I didn't know oh and then you and then it just builds and builds and builds and builds and I really do think education is the way to change your life mm-hmm. because if I didn't know all these things, it would be so hard to change. I would never want to change my comfortable habits. Why would I swap my bright green dish liquid for something that is less colorful and smells different and comes from a different shop? It's also, it's like you do have to make little changes in your rhythm of life in order to have a more sustainable life. I do imagine a future where everything, every product that we have in shops is sustainable so I shouldn't have to make that decision and I shouldn't have to change my life it should just be that everyone is going to any shop whatever shop it is mm-hmm. and anything on any shelf they know the research has been done by the company mm-hmm. and that the guidelines have been put in place by the governments mm-hmm. so that they know every product is not harming the environment and many of them are having a positive impact yeah and that all comes down to legislation and regulation which is the hardest thing to change knowing that from what we do on, on the mental health side is there an interesting story during this journey where you were like, this is why I'm actually going to take my life forward? Because I think for many people who haven't been involved in the fashion industry, it's a very hard industry to get out of, mm, especially so when hard. you're successful, especially when you're working, so and especially when you've lived your whole life thinking, will it end tomorrow? So you, it's really hard to make that impactful decision to go, actually, I'm going to step away and enter into something that's quite unknown. And also, you mentioned about education, but the more you learn, the less you realise you actually do know because yes. you're like, oh my gosh, it's, there's more and there's more and actually I really don't know very much. <laughs> and it feels like this mountain that's very high and I remember that from when I was studying and I started and then I was like, well, I need to study more, I need to know more and then thought, I feel like I actually know nothing after years But of I've research. been learning for years. <laughs> Where is this going? When will this end? And I find it really inspiring and and I really champion you for starting a charity because I do know how difficult it is (laughs) there's got to be something where you were like that's it because it's a big moment to change your purpose or find a purpose within you to go that's it I'm going full force Mm. into that can you tell me a story of that moment because I can remember mine quite specifically I'd love to hear yours so one moment, I think there were many, one yeah. really important moment to me was after I'd spent years in my living room educating myself very quietly, and whenever I would attend a fashion event, I would maybe try to talk about the things that were interesting me, and no one cared. And they would find it boring, and I was like, okay, I won't, okay, yeah, you're right, I won't talk about that. And it just, it felt like this kind of secretive thing that I was doing, and it was so weird. And then in 2019, I walked on the streets with Extinction Rebellion. It really made me cry and makes me want to cry every time we talk about it it was so beautiful to actually be united I went on my own but united in a crowd of people walking together and I knew we were all there because we loved the earth Mm -hmm. and it was so amazing for me to feel that after having spent these years educating myself and it not be cool and Mm -hmm. all of that so it was just 
that was it. I think that was a big moment for me when I went, yes, this is acceptable what I'm doing. Yes, it is good. It is good for me. It is good for the earth. And there are other people doing it too. Do you know, it's finding community. <laughs> totally. Finding community. Finding that community that resonate with you. It's such a big part, I think, of, of one's mental health and also one's purpose. Because if you're going against the tide, it's very hard to think, am I the only one who feels or resonates with it. And I think that's something that many people can end up feeling like they're losing their purpose. And purpose is a really big thing, I think, when it comes to mental health. And I know that I feel like you thing. mentioned to me when you walked in here, my mental health is better. Might, might have been the first thing I said, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, we've got to touch upon this. Yeah, I feel an extraordinary thing happened to me. So I was doing something that everyone thought I should love, which mm. is called modeling. And then I transitioned into doing something that everyone thinks is terrifying and depressing called climate activism. <laughs> Let me tell you, I felt horrible doing the modeling. My self-esteem was so low. I thought I was bad at everything. I thought I was uglier than everyone. I Trust me, everyone listening, models do not think they're so pretty. No. <laughs> models do not look at pictures of themselves and go, oh gosh, I look so beautiful. I look at pictures of myself and I see all the faults and weaknesses and I see all the things that are wrong with me. And I know what every inch of my body looks like, which is also a very weird thing to I know what I look like from the back at every single angle. Like, that's not normal. We shouldn't really know this about ourselves. We should just live in like happiness of like, I'm just a person in a body. That's a great place to be. <laughs> and then I transitioned into this climate activism, which you would think it would be horrible. You'd be working on the doom and gloom and knowing about the doom and gloom. And that is true. I read the climate reports. I know where we are going. I know how desperate our situation is right now for all of humanity, but mostly for people who are already vulnerable and poor and experiencing living conditions that I would consider inhumane, like losing your ancestral homelands due to drought, having to migrate due to climate, which millions of people are already doing and billions of people will need to do within the next 20 to 50 years. Like, it's really, really, really soon. In spite of all that, because I have purpose, I feel happier and happier. I feel more alive. I feel connected. I also, because I am spending a lot of time educating myself, I don't only find the doom and gloom stories. I know of thousands of people all over the world who are doing exceptionally intelligent work at a rapid pace to make the world a better place for everyone. And it's stories like these and being in contact with people like these, they're heroes. Mm. I mean, these people are my, they're celebrities to me. Like I get just starstruck when I get to have a Zoom with Vandana Shiva. <laughs> it's like just, and it means so much. My life is full of meaning and purpose. I'm in a much better mood all the time. I love my life. So I really invite everyone if you're feeling a little kind of fed up with your job or your life in any way, find activism. And it might not be environmental. That's okay, too. It might be mental health. It might be anything. There are so many things that we need to change to make better. But educate yourself. Really educate yourself. And I mean that because you can go too fast. And there's a lot of damage that can be done by, and we're going to talk about greenwashing later, but there's a lot of damage that can be done by miseducating and misinforming, and that can happen when you don't know enough yourself about the backstory, about the story behind that story, about the story 50 years before that mm -hmm. story. Like, you need to know everything. And of course, information is flexible, and you keep adding to it and building out a picture, but 
doing it in a thorough way is very, very important. And then once you're through that phase enough that you feel like speaking about it, make sure you're speaking about it in a way that is bringing people in. Let's not create more competition and conflict by the good that we're doing in the world. Let's really take this moment to hold hands, take a partnership way instead of a domination way, and really examine yourself inwardly. How do I approach life? How do I interact with people? What imprint am I leaving on everything, on the meetings that I have, on the people from whom I order a coffee? Like where, who am I in life? I think is a very important question along the road of activism. I have a great nutrition fact that may surprise you. Frozen vegetables can be more nutritious than fresh. For once, some good news. Once a vegetable is picked at harvest and it has traveled for nearly two to three days to reach our supermarket shelves, it can be depleted by nearly 70% of its nutritional content. Frozen veggies, however, lock in their nutritional content as soon as they're frozen. So check this out. Fun fact number two. I have found a frozen plant-based meal which is not full of preservatives, but is actually jam-packed with the real nutrient food and it delivers between two to four of your five a day. As GQ recently said, vegan or otherwise, you'll be hard pushed to find a frozen meal that tastes quite as nice as all plants. They are not only good for you, but they are great for the planet and they make your life quick and easy when it comes to meal times. If you order online via www.allplants.com and you use the code LWBW, you can get 25% off your order. The website is so flexible and you can either sign up to a subscription or just place a one-off order to fit around your schedule. So that code is LWBW and do make sure that you head online to check them out because you or your house won't regret it. I think purpose is something we don't talk about enough because there's a linear road for so many people and trying to steer off that path because you have a feeling can be terrifying, but hugely courageous when you do it. What advice would you give to anyone who's maybe listening and going, it just feels too far away for me to do that. I feel too frightened. I haven't got enough resources to support myself. Yeah. What would you, what advice would you share? If it's a money thing, don't feel guilty. That is not your problem. That's a systemic, systematic problem with our society and our governments. Like. Let's lay off of buy the more expensive thing to be sustainable. No, I'm sorry. That is not the way to approach this situation. If you're in a financial situation where you can't afford to make changes in your life, take a deep breath and relax. It's not your fault. You buy what you can. No problem. You individually are not damaging the planet. It's people who have the means and even so choose not to. That's the people who really, really need to take a moment and consider their lives. Because if you can afford to, please support the small independent businesses who are doing things right, because they need it. They really, they're so grateful as well. Well, the small fashion brands that I know and love, they are so grateful. Trust me, they tell me how grateful they are when they receive one order. They're like celebrating in their tiny little office. Like it means something. Whereas the big guys who are not making as quick a change as they could be making, they don't celebrate your purchase. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it means nothing to them. You're one in a sea. 
I like to think about life like this. Our choices lead us to the life that we want. And that can happen every single time you spend money. That's a good filter of like where I can start. There's so much more I want to talk to you about. <laughs> but I have to get on to the next part. <laughs> because if I don't, I feel like we're not we're gonna lose track of some of the really important questions I want to bring up. And one of them is around food and nutrition. So I'd love to start there because I know that it lies heavily within the soil. And it spans across so many areas as, as you touched upon beautifully at the beginning of this conversation. And one is not just how it impacts our climate, but also how it impacts us and our health. Totally. Because when you look at things such as our gut microbiome, which we know thrives from plant foods and the diversity within that plant foods and the nutrient components, but then you actually look at the soil today, it's so depleted and so undernourished. This is actually affecting our ecosystems of our food, which is affecting in turn our health. So I just love to read some stats out before I ask you some questions on this. I don't know if you'll be surprised by these stats. Can't wait. <laughs> or I don't know if you'll feel, oh no, I know about this. But it's a long range nutritional content food study by McCain and Widdeso. And they found mineral levels in fruit, vegetables, milk, and meat have all declined significantly over the last 70 years. Magnesium in vegetables has dropped by 24%, while carrots have lost 75% of this essential nutrient. You need to eat four carrots today to get the same amount of magnesium found in one carrot in 1940. And if we look at spinach, that has lost 53% of its potassium and 60% of its iron, while broccoli has lost 75% of its calcium. They're just a few facts in a big, big pond going on here with information on this is just our, our health, let alone everything else that it's impacting. And that's something that's important to me as a nutritionist for when I see people and we're not, we're not gaining the five of the five a day in, in the UK. 21% of us consume five of our five a day. But when we look at that data, we need to be eating so much more because the food content from the soil is so poor. So something that I'm just a champion of what you're doing, which is biodynamic farming, is really trying to help solve this problem regarding our soil content and the nutrient values, as well as the climate change with the carbon dioxide. So could you just help explain for anyone who's listening, going, I don't really know what she's talking about. They keep referencing biodynamic farming. What is this? And what's the importance behind it? So I'll answer that question by answering the stats that you read out. Yes, and imagine that every plant is alive. Mm. We know that, right? Because it looks very different when it's dead. Mm. Clearly something has left that life force. So not only are the potassium and mineral levels depleting dramatically in our food and in our soils, so is the life force. Because when you're a carrot and you're growing in soil that has chemicals everywhere, your friends, the fungal networks, they're all dead. So you're lonely and you're bored and you're just like limp. Imagine a lonely, bored, toxic life for our food. And this is a plant. Imagine how the animals feel. So biodynamic farming is a type of regenerative agriculture that recognizes that plants and animals are not only made of physical matter. We can farm the physical matter with synthetic fertilizers if we like, 
or we can farm it without because we can also farm the physical matter with compost with richly diverse crops where they support each other called companion plants but also we need to farm the non-physical we need to support the life force of the plants and the ecosystem we have life in us we know that like that's super obvious i'll be very different when i'm dead like i will i'll be gone and that's easy for me to understand but a little more distant to understand that a carrot might be the same (laughs) as well so biodynamic farming farms this life force this invisible life force how by making medicines for the non-physical and they're so cool really uh, complex recipes nine of them they're called the biodynamic preparations the farmers make the preparations usually over about a year very um, specific recipes with specific things like burying them underground for six months but only winter six months not summer six months then when you apply them you spray them but at sun at sun up and very very specific and once you've dug up the preparation that you've buried you have this rich humus that's filled with trillions of microorganisms it's just amazing it's like breeding life in soil remember Mm. that soil that we talked about that's not just one blanket it's made of trillions of microorganisms that's how you make them you breed them by making biodynamic preparations and biodynamic compost and then this is where modern science is like what (laughs) you take the preparation and you dilute it in water and you stir it for an hour and you imbue your intention into that preparation along with your intention for the land And you connect with everything, bioresonance, whatever you want to call it. And then you keep stirring until it's so diluted that when science looks at that, they're like, yeah, it's water. And the biodynamic farm is like, "Mm, no, it's not. (laughs) It's way more exciting than water. We've just potentized all those ingredients and all that process into a medicine for the earth. And that's why biodynamic farming is so special. Under the umbrella of biodynamic farming, you can use all the regenerative agricultural techniques like mobile grazing for animals to spread their manure, like composting, like crop rotations, all of these things. Great. But this is what sets it aside. And this is the part that is really, really important. And you highlighted the example of the missing minerals in plants. We need to understand why this all happened. Why are we living in a world and why are we okay to live in a world that is completely destroyed we're talking about ecosystem breakdown under the soil above the soil in society which is now what we're calling mental health which i'm so glad we didn't even have a really word for that no not very long ago no but now we get it and it's all interconnected and we need to do something about it and why i started dirt is because through my now eight years of activism and i only launched dirt last year i realized that this is one of the most holistic solutions that we have to climate change because it addresses soil health which addresses water health because water runs through soil on farms everywhere and also it addresses mental health of farmers biodynamic farmers live an amazing life an amazing life they are enriched they're purposeful they're connected to their environment they are watching nature grow and supporting it they're usually building community around them as well They're often working on alternative economic structures to support their local community because economics right now is a big topic, but it's not working. I mean, look around you. It's not working very well, our economic system. As we talked about before, a lot of people cannot afford to make sustainable choices. How wrong is that? You can't afford 
to be able to look after the planet, but you know that the planet needs looking after. I mean, it's just, it's an impossible situation and it's gross. Mm. And I wish no one had to be in that situation. So that's what biodynamic farming is and why I support it with dirt. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. And I think anyone who's listening to this has not heard of it will now want to Most people haven't, by the way. Don't feel badly if you haven't heard of it. It's very obscure. <laughs> and that's the problem, isn't it? And it's, it's kind of how the mental health conversation was 10 years ago. It was not really spoken about and it's it's harder for people to become biodynamic farmers i think there's there's a lot of barriers to this work which is actually subsidies subsidies are big barriers because subsidies are given to farmers who are farming with chemicals usually because the chemical companies lobbied for the subsidies yeah (laughs) and this is i think what people don't see and again you've spoken really eloquently about people not feeling that they can afford to live a certain lifestyle and then having a huge amount of shame or even just not wanting to make small changes because they feel like they're not actually having... Mm, That's injustice. Exactly. And it's even when I look at something, again, this is in the food ecosystem, but frozen foods, they actually contain and lock in so much more of the nutrient value because they're frozen from harvest. And I think that's why a lot of conversation is around trying to eat seasonally. And if you can't, don't shun against the frozen food because the food that's transported from halfway across the globe is losing 70% of its nutrients by the time that it hits our shop. But it's labelled organic, so hey-ho, it's got a high price point, but a low nutrient value. And these, I think, are all the myths where people get a bit worried about the choices that they're making and actually how much impact is that having like what's your top tips for following a diet that is also sustainable but without breaking the bank directly to the farm food is not expensive when you buy it directly from a farmer Mm. but what if we live in an urban area like london where we can't do that if you're in a metropolis urban area there are usually farm deliveries so the farms now near london a lot of them are delivering directly to London once a week or twice a week. So have a look at Farm Drops. I I don't mean a specific company called Farm Drop, but I mean any farms who are delivering into a city where you live. Because if you don't have access, like walking access to a farm, that is a great option. If you're in a city but not a metropolis where this is kind of cool and trendy, you may not have access to a farm and that would to me be called a food desert we need to work against this because it is not fair like I think it should be a human right to have access to nature and to have access to farmed food directly because that is health when you know the farmers you're supporting them they feel supported farming can be really lonely a lot of farmers feel totally undervalued and guess what they grow everything we need for us everything we need and use look at your furniture it's made of wood and plant fibers look at your floor it's made of wood look at your windows they're wood look at your clothes they're all made of plant fibers usually or leather they all came from farms everything you eat came from a farm the flowers you have came from a farm everything (laughs) everything when i was like it's like a domino effect when i began to look at this i was like how did i not know and then i started spending time on farms and Wow, going to you volunteer to on a farm. a farm. Oh, it's my ambition in life <laughs> <laughs> to be a farmer. Although I realized very early on in my volunteering career on farms <laughs> that it is not fair to be a farmer right now on your own. You are, you're under an immense burden of responsibility. Mm. 
And this is why. So going back to the economics of farming, imagine this. If you're a farmer, you have to buy your land or someone has to give it to you if you're lucky, like your parents, that does happen. And then you have to buy everything you need to grow a crop. You have to look after that crop all year. And then if you're lucky, someone will buy that crop for you, but you don't know how much they'll buy it for because there's a market value on crops. So you have to wait till the moment when the crop is absolutely ready to know how valuable it is. And it might drop that year to be less valuable than you hoped it was going to be. It's absurd. Who should be in that situation? What about a reversal of that situation where when I need something, like let's go back to our friend the carrot, I'm going to need some of those this year. I could do some math and figure out how many carrots I'm going to need this year. Or even better, the grocery store could do some math and figure out how many carrots they're going to need this year. And then they could go to farmers and say, we're going to need 400,000 carrots. So can we pay you half of that right now so you can grow those 400,000 carrots for us? Amazing. Thanks. And the farmers would be like, yeah, cool. Sure. That sounds great. I'll do that. Then no food waste because you know you need those 400,000 carrots. Then you know how much they're going to cost. Just see how, now put that exercise everywhere on every single grown ingredient. Wow. Farmers would be in a totally different situation. They wouldn't be vulnerable anymore to financial crisis, which they're all living under a complete stress of financial crisis. Have you seen, I mean, you probably haven't because I'm sure you don't watch very much TV, but something that got me through lockdown was Clarkson's Farm. Jeremy Clarkson. I have heard that it's amazing. And no, I don't watch TV, so I haven't seen it. But I would, I will. You I will. <laughs> I have so much respect for Clarkson after that, but also so much respect for farmers because it really shone the light on just how hard it Impossible. is to farm and how the weather impacts your crops. And I mean, you really saw the process that they went through. And actually, I don't think he made any profit in the end at all. But that really shone the light on how hard farming is. And that wasn't biodynamic farming. Um, and that wasn't organic farming. And that's a whole different conversation because, again, organic farmers lose half of their crops to, obviously, you know, Biodynamic and farmers use, lose fewer crops than organic. Because in organic, it's a, there's a wide spectrum of organic farming. It's not just one thing. So some farmers on this end of the spectrum are regenerative organic. They're building soil fertility. The nutrition in their farm is going up and up every year. They usually have very diverse crops. They won't just grow one field of one thing. They'll plant seven different cereals, for instance, in a field. That field will be much healthier because it doesn't just have one type of wheat in it. Then there's the other end of the spectrum of organic where they're kind of following the same formula as conventional farmers, but it's less toxic. It's organic fertilizer instead of synthetic chemical fertilizer. And they're not building any soil fertility and they're not getting better and better and they're very vulnerable to pests because they can't use the heavy duty chemicals. Their chemicals don't work as well, but they don't have biodiversity on their farms. So biodynamic farms are actually incredibly resilient and biodynamic farmers look at pests or weeds. They're like, oh, how interesting. Hmm, why is that there? They're not like, ugh, I need it to go away. And usually they don't want it to go away. They'll find something that eats it. <laughs> it's food for something else, that pest. So there's a, an amazing scene in The Biggest Little Farm, which is a documentary that I love. It's about the rodent situations. They have rodents that are digging among their orchard and killing the trees because they eat the roots when they dig. They're like, gosh, that's such a problem. We can't lose our trees. They're like, who eats rodents? And then they bring barn owls in. And then the barn owls are living on the farm and they catch the rodents. It's just like, oh, 
the oh. ecosystem. <laughs> it's so ecosystem. many examples of that. So farming is not boring at all. It's really fun. Yeah. And it improves your intelligence yeah. because of how you have to think creatively and find solutions. And sometimes it takes a while. And it's great if you're doing it in community because then you can all share your solutions and have more fun doing it. And this is coming back to me being a farmer. It is my ambition to be a farmer, but I realized quite early on, I don't want to be a farmer on my own. It's not fun and it shouldn't be. Mm. So I'd like to be a farmer in a community, like intentional community of lots of people all living together. You need to meet George Lamb. Oh, I know George Lamb. We had him on the podcast and he's created this amazing community called Grow. Which I feel like this is what you need to be a part of. Yeah, he's amazing. He's and Andy Cato and yeah. Yeah, we had him on the podcast and it was really. Ins- he's actually the one who kickstarted the whole conversation for me on around this topic. Nice. Um, I can't remember what season that was. Really, I recorded with him in lockdown. So this is a while ago. Long but ago. if you go back, you'll find the episode. But something that I also want to make sure we get in before the end of the podcast is the impact on the fashion industry and the impact that not just our soil, but just generally how it's affecting us climately and climate change and the larger ecosystem here. So something that I think we're all starting to see people talk about on social media, in the press, on the news, is a term called greenwashing. I'm not sure people really understand. I'm not sure I really understand the full terminology behind what greenwashing means. So for my kind of naivety around this, can and I feel like I, I know parts of it, but I still feel like it's quite misleading. Would you be able to just give us the term behind greenwashing and how can we actually identify it as a consumer? Absolutely. Okay, so I think greenwashing is a phrase that is being added to all the time because there are new ways of greenwashing that people are finding all the time. So it's growing, which is not good. Greenwashing is a very negative behavior. It's where you share information that is either not true or leads people to believe things about you that are great when you know that kind of you're not as great as now they think you are. That's greenwashing. And there are two kinds of greenwashing. One is a very innocent... I just don't know enough to be telling this story kind Mm. of greenwashing. And Mm. that happens from businesses all the time. It's a marketing team. They don't know how the clothes are made. So when they communicate about sustainability, they often get it wrong. But it's innocent. They're not trying to be evil. But it's still not good. You still can't do that. And then there's the evil greenwashing, which is intentional greenwashing, where you know everything about your supply chain or most things, you know enough about your supply chain to know that you shouldn't be talking about anything that's good on it because there aren't enough good things. The percentage of good that you're doing is like 4% of your revenue, but then the rest of it is from bad causes. That's not okay. And there's a great example of greenwashing being brought to justice. Client Earth is one of my favorite organizations forever. They are a team of lawyers started by James Thornton, whose client is the earth, client earth. They represent ecosystems and the earth every single time and they always take corporations to court about it. They're like, this river here is being polluted because of this energy plant. And they go to court and represent the river. It's amazing. And this is really, really new Mm. in the legal world as far as I'm aware. New as in like James is now a very old man. He's been kind of doing this forever, but it's new that it's kind of known about. Stop Ecocide Now is another organization that is going to bring this to be normal, Mm -hmm. where every river should have rights. Mm -hmm. 
every bird should have rights, every species should have rights, so that anyone, I, could notice that the worms in my backyard aren't, I don't have a backyard, I wish I did, but if I did, aren't doing so well, and I wonder why, and I get a specialist to come in and examine, and what if the soil's being polluted by groundwater stream that's coming from a neighboring farm that's bringing chemicals underneath my garden? I should be able to go to court and say, these worms, they're really suffering. I can see that it's the fault of this farm over there. Like that, that's what eco, this law, if ecocide comes in, then nature would become a real legal entity. And then that will change everything in a really quick way. I think quicker than most other solutions. Sorry if that wasn't very clear. No, it is. And I'm just trying to, no, it's really clear. And I think that's on such a policy level on how we can change things. But as a consumer, you know, I see someone like H&M pop up with their new sustainable collection or I'm trying to think of other people who are, are, are constantly always pushing the sustainability and Primark, Primark exactly is a great example they've great done no example. research into sustainability as far as I not research whereas the CNA foundation which is owned by H&M they've done loads of research so they kind of deserve to say things about sustainability because they have open sourced a lot of information that they find they have actually helped the industry to move forward they still overproduce and even their production that isn't classifiably overproduction is still too much. I'm not saying I support them at all, but I don't like it when I see them constantly brought down. But actually it's because they're the ones who've done the most of all the big fashion labels that are fast fashion. Luxury has been hiding behind one really lame excuse, which is that, oh, our products are so high quality. And then they let you believe that that means sustainable. It doesn't. High quality what, plastic? still plastic it is so often high quality leather still tanned with incredibly toxic heavy metal chemicals mm. so no doesn't matter if you're going to keep it your whole life even if you pass it on to your daughter and granddaughter how long is that handbag going to last 90 years that's a long time for a handbag but it's the blink of an eye in the perspective of the earth mm. it will eventually be trash mm. everything we make will be trash we have to come to terms with that so we need to make trash that's compostable. <laughs> I mean, if I'm looking at, is it the mushroom leather and things like that that are all coming up, which are, are really interesting. But I think the really sad thing is there's a lot of brands that are trying to make this movement, but they're not getting investment because they're not sure actually how sellable is that going to be? How much of a big multi-billion dollar business will this be? So it's less interesting to bring to market. And I think that's a real problem of a barrier that we're seeing in sustainable fashion. I agree. And then there are quite a few materials who do manage to garner investment and they kind of take all the investment and they raise over a hundred million and they might not necessarily have the best idea. So I've, because of this issue that you're talking about, I've become really interested in finance and looking at how do we shift our money and how do we get money to go into good places? And it's kind of sad. That's actually kind of depressing, the financial sector. We have no shortage of money. We have plenty of money to pay for all the regeneration of, that the earth needs. I'm pretty certain in that statement from all the numbers that I've been looking at about how much it costs to do this and how much money we have in a global GDP, which again, GDP is like product, gross domestic product. There's even more than that, presumably, because that's what you make. So I'm finding what I'm learning about the financial sector is actually, that's the sad part. That's the depressing part. We have enough money. There are trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars everywhere. They're just hiding in kind of dirty places, not in clean places. So we need to move them 
and prioritize the shift to investments that are directly into nature and that create outdoor jobs for people like forest restoration and not just planting trees that is a big thing i'm seeing in social if you buy this we'll plant a tree or everything yeah. bought will give one pound towards this yeah that's a it's a big thing i'm seeing a lot do you know what it's because people know what trees are people don't know what bushes are really people don't know about biodiversity so to sell biodiversity it's really hard whereas when you sell a tree it's like oh yeah i know what that is so we need to educate and understand that trees cannot live on their own they shouldn't be planted on their own you need to spread a diverse mix of seed you need to actually just empower the community who were there already indigenous people i mean i know it's now in in the worlds where we are it sounds obvious to say it but indigenous communities are guardians of land they have been doing it forever we white people in the rich west have never respected them properly for it or been grateful properly for it we need to change that our governments need to start saying we are so sorry for the colonialization that has caused you such harm to your culture your people your finances everything generational trauma and we need to say how can we support you mm. not oh we can support you in this way but not that way mm. just what can we do for you what would be helpful to you right now and be really open to the answer because it might even be just go away i think it brings it down to you know as this individual so some listening to this like what can they do what are your three top tips for a conscious consumer that can have impact that feels achievable for that individual read the label of everything you're ever going to buy from now on and even a lamp has a label it'll be made of wood metal cloth or plastic or polyester all kinds of things read the label mm -hmm. buy the ones that are natural materials read the sustainability page on the website of the brand that you're buying from so if you're on a retail website actually click to the other website of the brand itself and learn about what they're doing how they're sourcing how they pay people how much they care you'll be able to get a really quick good sense from them and then remember them and repeat purchase from the brands that are doing good things from the businesses that are causing good healthy shift number two <laughs> thank you read the label is number one read i agree label. with that as well yeah. with nutrition read the label read the label is definitely think about how you're engaging with your community are you building community around you are you being active in your local politics because you can make a lot of change by doing that so have a little think sit down one evening make it enjoyable for yourself whatever's fun for you sit down and do some research into your local constituency and see how you can get better involved and support the people in it who are already trying to do good changes that's really 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 helpful to take action and then also three is look for charitable organizations who are doing great things a lot of people are coming up to me because i've started a charity and saying oh i want to start a charity too and i'm like I, I get it. You're inspired and that's so nice and I'm so grateful and that you're inspired by what I'm doing. Let me tell you, starting a charity is an incredible amount of work. It's a lot to keep up with. And also there are so many charities that exist already. So find those that do exist, that have done all the paperwork already, that have paid all the legal fees yeah. already <laughs> and who are would be so welcoming of more support. And also when you do support, make sure you're ready to support financially if that's available to you mm -hmm. because there's a lot of empty support i've noticed yes. in the charity sector which is like oh i want to you're so aligned you're so values aligned with what we're doing but really they people just kind of don't want to give anything yep 
And when I say people, sorry, I mean businesses, actually. Yes. I haven't had this experience with individuals. I mean commercial entities. <laughs> that have mine. Yeah, I really, really agree and feel that struggle where many people will interact with you, but actually the sense of giving to support mm-hmm. becomes where they stop supporting. Yeah. But they're happy to talk about it, mm-hmm. but they won't actually yeah. ever hand over the money you need to you know, run operations and actually allow that support to grow and then that's inner work for those people like Mm -hmm. what what is it in you that wants to support but doesn't want to (laughs) yeah i feel like i should have a whole (laughs) podcast on how it is to start a charitable organization it's very it's very stressful there are ted talks on this there's a great ted talk about aid in general and what damaging problems aid has caused especially giving from rich white countries to poor or brown or black countries a lot of damage is being done a lot of damage in the secondhand clothing market as well it, tremendous amounts of old gross clothing being given in quotation marks because the people who give it feel good about themselves but the people who receive it don't mm. and it lands in their plaza in their t- village and you know what all those free clothes do they destroy the local economy of clothing and cobblers for shoes. Because who's going to support the local seamstress anymore and buy her clothes if the clothes are free? The stories never end. You need to get, you need to go further on every story. It's big, big advice for everybody. And what I found in my activism, just the story about me donating a garment to a charity shop, that's not the end of the story. What happens after that? Who buys it then? It buys it back and forth, charity shops over and over again. Eventually that garment's going to be old and yucky. Where's it going to go? It's going to go either into landfill or maybe it will be recycled because now a lot of companies are working on recycling. Recycling is very energy intensive and usually chemical intensive as well when it comes to fibers particularly or metal. Metal is like recycled in a bath of chemicals. It's not common knowledge, but or heat, huge amounts of heat or both. And so we need to think recycling is not like a done yay kind of solution it's something that needs to be used but in very special specific circumstances and occasions and really use a lot less think about what you really need fill those empty vacuous spaces with the people you love (laughs) i love that use less and i think that is such an important one to leave it on is actually do we need everything that we're filling our shelves our cupboards our wardrobes with our lives with today Probably not. And we are living in a world of convenience and overconsumption. And I think that's a really big one that we can all actually look and reference our lives at. And how much do we really need? The last question I want to leave with, because I know that we're running out of time, but it's one that I always ask all my guests on the podcast is, Arizona, what does live well, be well mean to you? Live well, be well means enjoy the time that I get to spend on this incredible planet with these amazing humans everywhere and these beautiful plants and animals. That's what it means to me. I love that. (laughs) I love that, the positivity. And I think that is the essence of really captures today's conversation. Yes, there is so much harm that we can see coming to us from climate change that's already happening. And there's so much negativity and worry around it and anxiety. But there's also a lot of positive things that we can draw from as well. And I think that's something that you really embody. So many. And they're more powerful. And they're more powerful. And that's more impacting to change. And so thank you for championing that. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thank you for sharing your optimism around it all. And hopefully inspiring so many people listening to this podcast. For anyone who's like, 
I need to check out this charity. I'd like to give to this charity. I want to follow Arizona. Can you just share some links or places where they can go to do that? Absolutely. The website for DIRT is dirt.charity. No mm-hmm. .com at the end, just dirt.charity. And we have a donate button there if you want to. If you have a business, we really encourage a partnership with you. We have projects. The way we raise money is we have about, right now, currently, almost 25 projects around the world that you can choose from. Which one resonates with you? And your business can fund that project from beginning till end, building a strong relationship between you and the humans who are on the other side in that project, being climate resilient, living on soil, doing amazing things. Amazing. Thank you so much. I will urge everyone to check that out. I'll pop it into the show notes as well. So it's even easier if you forget that it's dot charity. (laughs) Um, One that I resonate much with. And thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much. It was so great. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please can I ask one huge favor, if you could subscribe, share and rate this podcast, it would mean an immense amount to me and all the fantastic guests who come on to share their expertise and knowledge with us. It will keep this podcast growing and it will allow us to continue making episodes. Until next week, I hope you all live well and be well. Before you go, I have something new to tell you about. There's brand new bonus content waiting for you with every new guest I speak to. These are exclusively for my inner circle of Apple subscribers. To listen now, head to the Live Well, Be Well show page on Apple Podcasts, where you can activate your free trial and you can enjoy the podcast without adverts.